You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. It's great to have you here this morning. Um, I'm not sure if I said it when I did the notice, but my name's Tom, uh, one of the leaders here, and it's just great to have you here. Now, the last few weeks we've been going through this series, um, which will actually conclude next week. And the series has been looking at the kingdom of Christ the King, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as the Bible puts it. Because if we see what the kingdom looks like, and then we will know what he looks like. And if we know what he looks like, then we will know what counterfeit looks like as well. If you know Jesus, you can spot the many frauds. And some of the frauds are so close, some of them are so well worked out, so similar, that there's every possibility that even you or I, as believers, can be misled or deceived. And the only way, I think, to move forward safely is to press in to the genuine gospel, to press in, to to find what does the kingdom really look like? What does the king really look like? What is the message of the kingdom? The genuine gospel, the real good news of Jesus. And that's what gospel means. It means good news. So when Jesus came along and he said, I am bringing good news. Do you think that he really meant that he wanted to bind you up in slavery into a list of rules of do's and don'ts? No. He came with good news to set us free. And this is the gospel. Saved. You and I are saved, or we can be saved if we're not yet, by grace alone. Amen. Through faith alone. In Christ alone, according to scripture, alone, and for the glory of God, alone. It's grace. There's no way you can earn it. There's no way you can pay God for this. There's no way you can work your way into his good books. It's by grace, which comes through faith. It's activated through faith, through our believing, and that faith is placed in Christ alone. It's not placed in rules. It's not placed in other directions. It's not placed in church. Our faith is placed in Christ alone. And it's according to what scripture says alone. There's no additions needed here. That's not that God doesn't speak today. Of course we believe he does. But you don't need an addition to the gospel. The gospel is perfect. And it's done. And for God's glory alone. So we need to get off the podium. And we need to surrender the captaincy of our lives to him. It's a kingdom of good news. That's what gospel means. It's more valuable, more powerful, more satisfying, more sustaining, more hospitable, more life-giving, more real than anything that you have ever encountered or ever will encounter. It offers you belonging, acceptance, freedom, identity, purpose, and it offers abundant life but because some of us sometimes will look at God and will say 
Where is that abundant life, God? If you've been alive for more than five minutes, you have experienced pain, even as a believer, you've experienced suffering, you've experienced hardships, you've experienced loss, you've, you've probably raised your fist to God at some point and said, why? I've been good to you, I've been trying really hard, God, why? I deserve better, surely. Abundant life does not mean that you'll never face hardship. In fact, the opposite is true. Look at Paul. Shipwrecked, beaten, starving, many times over. And it doesn't mean that you'll never get sick. I believe that God can and does heal. I absolutely believe that. But even those who get healed die. When we talk about saving a life, you know, when we're talking about paramedics or you know, fire rescue services and things like that, when we talk about saving lives, actually they start saying preserving life, because that's a truer depiction of what they're doing. We're not saving life. When you rescue somebody from the clutches of a tumultuous sea, you're not saving their life indefinitely, you're preserving it. You're giving it a few more years. Abundant life doesn't mean that you'll never experience hunger. It means that you need to learn to be content whether you have or whether you don't have. And that, that, that your, your view of thirst and hunger is, God, I need you mm. first and foremost. Because if I get deprived of the presence of God, then I'm truly hungry. Mm. And then I'm truly thirsty. Uh, and, and abundant life doesn't mean you should try for your best life now. That kind of self-improvement is a worthy pursuit. It's not. Because at some point in the self-improvement train, if you like, you'll get to this point where you come off the tracks. <laughs> what are you going to do then with the self-improvement books? Because they've just failed you and you've just failed them. So abundant life isn't about trying to have your best life now. And it doesn't mean that you'll never face persecution or even martyrdom. In fact, sometimes the opposite is true, that persecution and martyrdom follow genuine faith. John, Peter, mm -hmm. Paul, Stephen, mm -hmm. beheaded, crucified upside down, stoned to death. James, the son of Zebedee, Tyndale, Moore, yeah. Cramner, Jim Elliot, and a girl called Rachel Scott, who was a girl at Columbine High School, and when the, the two lads that were going around shooting kids everywhere, they, they went over to Rachel Scott, and she had already been shot, she was dying, she was lying on the ground, and they picked her up by the hair, and they said, do you still believe in your Jesus? And she said, you know I do. And so they shot her in the head. She had abundant life. Abundant life isn't divine, they're defined by how easy our lives are. It's these things quite often that we run from. We want to avoid poverty, we want to avoid hardship, we want to avoid persecution, we want to avoid hurt and pain and martyrdom. And in these kingdom, these in his kingdom, these things have an opposite effect on us. Instead of turning us into these fearful little rabbits, scared in the headlights. They, they transform us. 
Hardship makes you stronger. Now, uh, hear me carefully here, because I'm not thinking that God's going, hey, I want you to be a bit stronger, so I'm just going to punish you a bit. Now, that is not the God that we serve. But what he does is he will use, he will not waste those trials and those difficulties and those pains and those hurts and that loss. He will not waste a thing. He will not waste a drop. He will take it all and use it to transform you because we are more than conquerors in Christ. And I believe that all things, all things, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. These things, when we're part of the kingdom, cause us to rise, not in our own strength, but in his victorious strength, more than conquerors in Christ. Not in me, not in my ability, not in my moral reasoning, not in my wisdom, not in my limited understanding, not in my wonderfully strong and beautiful character. <laughs> Derek, you were about to say something there. I rebuke you, sir. No. Um, <laughs> you know what I said last week about loving my own voice? And, then, uh, and I said that when you, uh, when you listen back to it, nobody likes their own voice as much. You know what I really hate when I listen back? Because I have to listen back every week, so I put it on the podcast and what have you. And so every week I'm listening back, and what I hate isn't the tone of my voice, it's my laugh. It really annoys me, I want to punch myself in the face. So, how you guys are doing, I don't know. You know, it's in Christ alone that my hope is found. He is my strength, my light, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Not firm from, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. And you're going to see today, as we unpack this a bit further, that everything you need is provided in him and through him. Thank you, Lord. What a kingdom. Yeah. What a king. You can't, you can't afford it. You, you can't earn it. But it's freely offered. Yeah. And why would anyone refuse? Let's mm. so, open our Bibles. We're going to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, uh, verses 1 to 14, and it will come up on the screen as well. Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but... They refused to come. Why? Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. By the way, that verse uh, is commonly thought that Matthew added that later on. Um, once Jerusalem in AD 70 had been sacked and burned and destroyed. And then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go into the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. <laughs> 
So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him, hand and foot, and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. It's a tricky verse, that, that little sentence there, many, many are called, but few are chosen, and, and many theologians have hung their hat on that and said that you only get to heaven if God's decided that that's the purpose for you, and that if not, tough, it doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how much you seek him, how much you love him, too bad. It actually leads, at the extreme end of that, it will lead people to not bother evangelizing, because why should I bother if God's already picked? Listen, we're a church that believes that we need to go out and tell the world, because that's what Jesus said. That's exactly what Jesus said. So we're going to go out into the world, we're going to tell them about the king. We're going to tell them about Jesus. Now, this story, though it's familiar in that culture 2,000 years ago, a wedding, it's still a familiar theme today. Now, some of the nuts and bolts of a wedding might be slightly different. For example, they went on for days there. They don't really do that. We're kind of done and dusted and got the church clean, ready for Sunday morning these days, haven't we? You know, that's how weddings tend to happen. But it is a familiar story. We love that great celebration, that, that wonderful, great joy, the great honour to be invited uh, as a guest. Great to have the chance to have free food. You know, listen, I'll be honest, there's, there's things I like about a wedding. It's not all about the romance. I'm a guy after all, it's like, yeah, romance, that's nice. But food, talk to me about the food. Oh, they met, and it's a lovely story. But talk to me about the steak. When, when we finished Bible college, because that's where I met Jess. Yes, it was the original bridal college, not Bible college. I met Jess, uh, and she just stole my heart really quickly. Oh, um, and, uh, you know... Jess actually finished a year later than me, but those two summers, the summer where I left and then the summer where Jess left, they were packed, jam-packed with weddings, would you believe it, eh? Everyone in Bible College pretty much got married in those two summers, and they finished their degree and then they were like, woohoo, let's get married now, I can focus on other things. And so for, for two years, every Saturday in July and August, food was provided for me. <laughs> I loved it. And I don't remember, I'm not kidding, I don't remember most of the people who got married now. But I can tell you which food was good. <laughs> I can tell you, yeah, I didn't have to pay a penny, we made a massive saving. So, uh, I'm thinking of going back to college. <laughs> now, my expectation of a wedding is that if invited, I should RSVP. Uh, it's usually the case that I'll do all that I can do to try and attend, to try and be there. And that I should look smart, you know, wedding smart, not, not like I haven't ironed my trousers on my shirt smart, <laughs> but actual wedding smart. And, and wedding smart, you know, it's a suit and a tie, isn't it, generally? And it's not a black tie. You don't want it to look like a funeral when you go to a wedding. It sends the wrong tone, <laughs> you know. So there, there's an expectation there, isn't there? 
And, and also my expectation is that if I'm involved in the wedding party, if I'm, you know, if I'm a, a groomsman or if I'm a bridesmaid, not that I'd be a bridesmaid, that's never happened by the way, but I would also expect, not all of the time, but traditionally, that the suit would be paid for, or hired, paid for for me. But, am I wrong? This is a modern world now, it's like, get your own suit. But if I had to wear, like, the tails, you know, if I was one of those guys that had to wear the tails or top hat or something like that, I, I'd kind of expect that. That'd be, and certainly the bridesmaids, I think generally you expect the bridesmaids' dress to be provided for them, and they, you know, go to the shop and they get it all sized. I might be old-fashioned there. <laughs> God, craziness. <laughs> now suppose you received an invite that said, come to my son's wedding, I'll provide the feast, and it'll be good. I'll provide the transport, I'll get you there, and I'll provide the appropriate clothing. All you need to do is say yes, and step into that provision. You can't afford it, you can't earn it, but it's freely offered, why would anyone refuse? Now this parable, there's two main groups of people, and there's four types of responses, so very quickly, the two types of people, and then we'll, we'll dig into the four responses that they have. And the first group of people are those originally invited. Now, we're not reading into the text in any way here to say that's the nation of Israel, that's who Jesus is talking about. He's, he's talking about the descendants of Abraham who have been told that they'd be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. And that they'd be promised that all nations, all peoples would be blessed through them. And, and here, standing in their midst, is the incarnation of that promise. He is the seed of Abraham. Fully human, in, in that he's a direct descendant, but also fully God, standing in their midst. In fact, the context of this parable is that he is talking to the religious leaders in Palestine of that day. And he's having a word with them, and he's upsetting them. And he's just told them this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it's marvellous in our eyes. You see that just, just before the chapter that we've come to. And he's quoting from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong. He even said to them, and this is so provocative. Imagine this, you're one of the religious leaders in that day. You think you're the elite. And Jesus says this to them, the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to those who produce fruit consistent with the kingdom. What words to hear. Mm. If you built all your hope in the fact that you are the promised people, the kingdom will be taken away from you. The question is, where, where Israel, when they were first, they were the first ones invited to this wedding banquet. But was it an exclusive invite? <coughs> I'm just hypothesising this because part of the problem was that they had this warped idea of what God had given to them. And they warped it into this religion that was about work. It was about doing good. It was about fulfilling this. And, and they hoarded it 
to themselves. Listen, God gave them the law, but he gave them the law as a mirror, not as a tick list. The law was there to show them where they were weak, to show them that they could not do it. That's the law. That's what it's there for. It's not there. Don't think that you are saved by ticking off the Ten Commandments. Because that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. No, the law is there to show you you cannot do it. You can't. You cannot. You can't fulfil it. You can't be a good enough person. Because the law shows the perfection. Actually, they were invited to be those who also went out to invite others. That all nations, from the beginning, all nations would be blessed through the descendants of this man. So, so actually, the purpose of Israel wasn't to be exclusive and go, this is ours, bob off you Gentiles. It was, it was that blessing would come to the Gentiles through them. And the intention was always for Israel to bless the nations. They were to be the carriers, literally, of the presence of God. They carried the ark, not as an exclusive club like, this is it and the rest of you can jog on, but rather as a platform from which God's presence would be elevated and represented among the nations. And and that that would outreach from the bearers of that presence. That they would outreach from there and bless every living soul. And now the, the awaited Messiah is there in front of them. The bridegroom himself becomes the messenger who comes with the invitation. And sometimes we would say, if Jesus would just show himself to me, I'm sure I'd be able to believe a bit more. If I could just see Jesus in the flesh right now, it'd be easier for me to believe what he's saying. It'd be easier for me to live the way that I should live. You know, of course, if he was here, I'd behave better. Would you? Because that's the thing. The law just shows us what we can't do. It shows us where we're flawed. And these people right here right now, let's spare them, spare them a little bit of thought and dignity here. Because even though we look at the Pharisees and we think, wow, you hated and you vilified and you crucified the Lord. Would we have been different? That's how sinful we are. That even when the bridegroom stands in front of us and hands us the invite, we want to do it our way. And in the parable, this king is enraged by their violence because they kill the very one who comes to bring good news. Who comes to bring the invitation, they kill him. And as you know, there's the prophetic edge in what's said here because Jerusalem is destroyed. That the sacrificial system has never been put back in place since that point. 70 AD, 2,000 years near enough. And then there's the second group of people. Now, the first group won't come, so the invitation is uh, thrown open to the second group, those from the street corners. The initial invitation is not necessarily rescinded from, from the initial invitees, 
Um, although it's noted that they didn't deserve to come. But look at this. When the invitation is thrown wide, because the original people invited didn't deserve to come, where is the invitation thrown? To the street corners. This is significant. Not the palaces. Not the universities. Not the centres of culture. But to the street corners. Come on, we know who hangs around the street corners. That's a clear picture that we're supposed to get here. The street corners. And it even goes further. Jesus says, the good and the bad. So the second group are actually no more deserving of the invite than the first group. So what we can get from that is, everyone's invited, but nobody deserves to be invited. The invitation has been spoken to every person. And, and yet no person deserves that invite. And Jesus makes it really clear in his life and in his ministry that he was going to reach into the darkest places of society for those street corners. So the not clean places, the not clean people to demonstrate this love for the sinner, for the sick, for, for, for the, the helpless, for the prostitutes, for the tax collectors, for the sinners. Those not purified, those not behaving themselves very well, those not able to help themselves. Modern day, addicts, criminals, the lost, the downtrodden, the forgotten, and yes, you. He throws open the invitation to you. Undeserving and unable to save ourselves. Bear in mind that this is what we all are, including the Pharisee. So why is Jesus so harsh with the Pharisee and with the legalistically religious? We'll come to that in a bit. I don't want to keep you hanging too long, but we'll come to that. You know, the first group of people could still humble themselves. And they could still come. So this invitation is open to everyone. And true to scripture, the invitation to the second group comes through the first group. We need to not despise them. Because we're as fallen as anyone else. So there are four responses to this call. And this determines the chosenness of us, really. But they are four responses that you are able to make. You can make these decisions. And the first one, first two are actually outright, outright refusals. I'm not coming. But the first response is this, indifference. What does indifference look like? I ignore it completely. God is speaking, he's inviting me, I ignore it. You hear somebody mention God in the restaurant, on the bus, and so you just block your ears, or you, you move to another table, or you, you change to another seat, or you hear someone talking about Jesus in the street, and you're not offended, but you just keep on walking, because, well, it's not really relevant anymore, is it? Or, you know, we've moved on in our society, we don't need this religion stuff anymore, uh, we don't need to believe in some bearded guy in the sky that's, you know, going to give me nice things when I, when I kick the bucket... That's, you know, that's, society's moved past that. So if you're going to talk about Jesus, it doesn't offend me. I might think you're a moron, but I'm just going to ignore that. 
That's indifference. Hey, if it helps you. It's that kind of, I'm sure that's great for you, but I'm okay, thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. I'll, I'll take what I've got. And also, we can all make excuses that sound really official, but are correct in our heads at least. Uh, you know, we, we can say, we have to be realistic here. God, King, I don't have the time <laughs> to attend your son's wedding. I'm so busy. I've got so much going on right now. Do you know how many grandkids I've got? Come on, King. I can't, I can't drop all this and come to a wedding. I've got a shop to run. I've got a business. If I'm not in work tomorrow, I'm going to get fired. And maybe it's going to pay the bills. Are you going to pay my bills? I can't come to your wedding because I just don't have the room for Jesus in my life. I'm too busy. I've got this field, you see. That's what they say in the parable, isn't it? I've got my field, I need to plough. Ploughing or wedding food. I'll get around to God one. Uh, this is in my head, the conversation that I hear from people is that I'll get around to God one day. Maybe. Live and let live. I'll, I'll have my belief, you're entitled to yours. How convenient for you. Because the thing is, if you're, if you're that kind of person, it's like, well, you can believe that if you want. I've got my own set of beliefs, and I'll just stick with that. Like, if you fail in your own set of beliefs by your own standards, then guess what? All you can do is change the goalposts and go, ah, but actually I believe this now. And, and you keep moving the goalposts of what it means to believe what you believe as you experience different things in life. And you live your life the way of your wise and informed choosing. That's indifference to God. You get on with it, God. You get on with it, Christians, you bunch of nutters. I'm going to do this my way. Because I think, I think my way is better. And the, the next way is hostility. And the first group for years had resisted the very God that they claimed to serve. And, and they killed and they mistreated every single person that he sent. And everyone that he sent, he sent them because he loves them still. Every prophet that God sent to Israel was sent to correct them because of God's love. Not to bind them up and, and kind of strangle them in religion, but, but to set them free to see the God that they were claiming to serve. But they were so full of pride, and they were so full of religion. They were trying to secure their own goodness, their own merit by observance of the laws and the rules and the rituals. And they could not see him for their own attempts to prove themselves to him. Everyone who says, you're going the wrong way. Everyone who says, repent. Everyone who says, well, call sin what it really is. Become a threat to society. A threat to the structure and the glory that society claims that they've actually exchanged the glory of God for the glory of their own making, a glorification of themselves, and a glorification of their own wisdom. How dare you presume that I cannot make my own way to your son's wedding? How dare you presume, how dare you suggest that my field or my function, or my identity is, is less important. How dare you make me feel like that? How dare you suggest that I should bow to anything or anyone? How dare you suggest that I need something? 
other than myself. This is what this is what the world says, and this creeps into the church as well. That we say, I am powerful, I am wise, I am beautiful, I am talented, I am worthy, I am valuable, look at me. But each of those statements carries I am. How dare you put put yourself into God's shoes? There is no worse fake gospel than a gospel that says you are God. There's no more fraudulent attempt than to say you are the I am. Every time we say I am this, I am that, I am that. We're we're saying, Jesus, thanks for the invite. But I think my own wedding is going to be better than yours. I am perfect, that's what we're saying. Whether you reject God with indifference or excuses or hostility, you're still rejecting the only way by which you can be invited. You're still telling God to jog on. But the next response... This is something altogether different because what we see in the next response is it looks like full acceptance. It looks like a positive response to the invitation. The guy even gets into the wedding and he's he's RSVP'd. He's even thought about what he's going to wear and he's dressed himself for the occasion. And more than that, he's utterly baffled. He's gobsmacked. He's, He's silent. When he's rebuked, when he's told off for this, he doesn't understand why I'm, I'm here. I, those people aren't here, but I'm here. I, I'm doing what's asked of me. I'm, I'm smart. I mean, it might not be Versace, but it's the best that I've got. I'm looking smart. This is me on a smart day. <laughs> Self-justification. That's the issue here. That's why this guy's chucked out, because he doesn't get the measure of the invite. It's not just come and have a good shindig and enjoy the free food. It's everything that you need to be part of this is going to be provided for you. In fact, beyond that, don't, don't bother bringing your own stuff because it, it just, it's not good enough. So instead of me berating you and saying, you're not good enough, therefore you can't come, I'm going to keep that invitation open but say I'm going to provide everything that you need so that you can come. That's what God's doing here. He's he's not wearing wedding clothes, this guy. He's wearing his own clothes. Can you you get the significance of that? He's not dressed in the clothing that has been appointed by the king. But in his own, my own terms, my way, I, listen to me God, I'm going to make myself righteous and prove myself to you. That's, Wearing my own clothes. Mm. Or, I can behave however I want because I'm I'm already invited. And we can be so blasé with God because because we know we're already invited, because we've been saved, because we've experienced salvation, and we can be so blasé with him because, well, might as well, because I'm already saved, so great. That's, in many ways... This is what the Pharisees are doing, whitewashing themselves. While, whilst inside, there's a decomposition in their heart. 
but they're going to wear nice clothes so that everyone thinks, wow, these guys are holy. That's why God's so harsh with religious rulers, with Pharisees, because they made it about wearing their own clothes. In fact, it's, it's worse than just wearing their own clothes. What they were trying to do is, is force you to wear your own clothes to the wedding. And, and you see what that does. Because you can turn up to that wedding wearing your own clothes. And, and Jesus says a lot of times that on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? Didn't we do this? Didn't we serve you? Didn't we behave ourselves? Didn't we observe the Ten Commandments? Didn't we, didn't we try to be hospitable and love our neighbours? We did all this stuff for you, God. They're in their own clothes. It's about the clothes that they've put on. We've done this stuff for you, God. Why wouldn't you let me in? Because you're wearing clothes of your own making. It's not even that they've just gone down the shops and tried to pick up some clothes. They've tried to make their own clothes. It's works-based salvation. Do better. Add this to your faith. Prove yourself worthy. That is not Christianity. It is not. Listen to this, because this is a, through history. This has been man's biggest problem. We try to justify, and we believe that God is there with a whip trying to force us to justify ourselves, and you might just get my approval if you're good enough and if you do enough stuff. So indulgences, penance, pleading to saints. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Proving ourselves by being prosperous or healthy. Like, if I'm sick, it must be a lack in my faith. I must do more to please God. God's not healed me because obviously I'm not spending enough time on my knees. That's false doctrine. And it's hurtful. It hurts the church. And it's actually worse than that because... I believe even if it hurts the church, the church are going to be saved, they're going to be at that wedding. But what it does is it hurts people that are on the outside of the church with an invite in their hand, but they don't know how to get in because they think they need to wear their own clothes. Whoever we serve to try and prove that we're good enough, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're trying to prove to God, hoping that he deems that we've done enough, ensuring that we've knocked on enough doors or done enough missions or done enough self-denial. Like, if I avoid coffee, would that make God happier with me? If I, if I avoid alcohol, if I do X, Y, and Z, maybe I can please God enough for him to accept me and give me this invite. Maybe. That's making your own clothes. If we find ourselves on the wrong side of the king's invitation... It will be either because we've refused the invitation or because we've chosen to make our own way there. God does not will that any should perish. He's not the taskmaster. He, he's, he's not that kind of snide, almost like old-fashioned headmaster that's there going, you're going to get a beating. 
just because it's you. And, and you're, you're, I like you, your teacher's pet, you're not. You're coming with me, you're not coming with me. Don't like your face, like your face. You said nice things about me, you're coming. You haven't got it, so you're not coming. That's not who God is. You know that behaving badly and behaving well are the same problem. I really want you to hear that this morning. Being well behaved and being badly behaved carry the same problem if you're trying to do it yourself. So the harsh treatment of the Pharisee is still an act of love. It's completely an act of love. Their sin was trying to be self-righteous and they thought they could gain entry into the kingdom by their own merit and observance and it becomes idolatry. If you're trying to be a better you, if you're trying to be a better believer, if you're trying to do this list of things, that's idolatry. That's putting something else before God, that's making something else your salvation ahead of God. And you know, the problem when we make our own clothes, however good they are, it's still going to be like when you go into the dodgy marketplace and you spend £2.99 getting a Calvin Klein shirt. You know it's going to be a dodgy rip-off. You know that anyone who knows what a real Calvin Klein looks like is going to be able to spot that fake. I bought a pair of jeans in the, in, in the charity shop down here. Now, it's not their fault at all, by the way. I just put that disclaimer out there. But this pair of jeans are diesel jeans, and they had, um, it still had the labels on it. And I was like, I saw this pair of jeans, and they had them for a fiver. And I thought, those jeans, I've seen on eBay for 50 quid. On eBay, like, buy them brand new. They're hundreds of pounds for diesel jeans. So I was like, I'm having that, and I'm not even going to tell them the labels are still on. I'm just going to go buy these jeans. And so I bought these jeans, because I thought, wow, that's fantastic. I get myself a pair of diesel jeans for a fiver. You know, within a day, one of the buttons had fallen off the back. <laughs> and these zips, they had these weird little, like, butt zips, I guess, you know. These two little zips here, it's basically, it's prophetically saying, I'm going to put on a bit of weight. So, you know, what I do, I'm just, this is Christmas jeans, you know, you can just undo it. Just let it all out a little bit. You know, perfect Christmas jeans, but the, 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 the zipper bit, the, the handle bit, the zip just popped off in my hand. Do you think... A hundred pound pair of jeans would have a zipper that just goes pop like that and pops off as easy as that. Of course not, because diesel would never have made any money. These are fake jeans. And it didn't take me long to figure that out. What I thought was valuable is actually worthless. And sometimes, guys, what we think is valuable to God is worthless. Because he's not there, he's not here this morning saying, please be better. Uh, I've got to crack on because this is really important. Uh, the only way that we get to be at the wedding feast is by full acceptance. His terms, his invite. Acceptance of the generous and unmerited invitation. Acceptance of the king's clothing that, that he's given us to wear. And royal robes I don't deserve. But, but we want to hear that we're okay just as, uh, just as we are. We want to hear that. We, when we receive a word, we want an affirming word that says how much God's pleased with us and loves us. And you know, God does that. He does encourage but what we don't want to hear is, is a word of knowledge that says, you're doing this and you need to stop because it's not bringing glory to God. Or, or perhaps what we don't want to hear is the word that says, you cannot be good enough. Because that means you've got to empty yourself of pride. Because the tiniest shred of pride 
will make you earn God's favour. And we don't want to hear that. Forgiveness isn't, you're great just the way you are. Go you. You know, that's, that's not forgiveness. And uh, forgiveness isn't either this thing where God says, right, I've cleaned the slate, but now earn it. Now live up to that, and if you can't, too bad. You see, forgiveness is active and continuous. And you've got to hear this, it's active and it's continuous. It does the work for you and it keeps doing the work. Forgiveness doesn't take you as you are and leave you that way. It takes you as you are and puts you on this journey of transformation, which is all about him in your life and not about you trying to do it. In church language, he saves and he sanctifies. That is it. He makes you holy. Stop trying to be holy. It says be holy as he is holy. How can you be holy in the same way that he is holy? What, what scripture's trying to do there is shine a light on this and say, you cannot be holy. You need Jesus. You need his clothes. Stop trying to be holy and press into him. And, and forgiveness isn't, look, I've brought this for you. Now let's talk about your terms of repayment. Because you can't afford it. The clothes of the kingdom that, that he puts on you are this. Uh, they're clothes of justice, they're clothes of truth, they're clothes of mercy. If you're a believer, you'll find that these things kind of naturally have a way of, of impacting your life. Of holiness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the clothes that the king puts upon your shoulders. That's what the wedding garments look like and they're beautiful. And they're garments of sanctification and salvation. I need to wrap this up. The best version of you will still fall short woefully. But he's good on your behalf. Because you can't. You're a new creation. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. It's a done deal if you are in Christ. Not a new creation in yourself. A new creation in Christ. You can't make yourself a new creation. He's the creator. So you're invited, but what response will you choose? What response will you choose? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And we're going to keep saying that. In fact, I think that's so important, we're going to plaster it on this wall. When you have these clothes given to you by grace, through faith in Christ, how are you going to wear those clothes? Uh, and I'm going to make a point here and then finish. Because when I, when I put on a fine suit, I'm not going to go run a marathon in it. It's going to change the activities that I put my hand to, isn't it? I'm not going to put on a lovely suit and then go swimming. Unless it's a swimming suit. I'm not going to run cross country. You know... I'm not going to go building houses wearing a nice fine suit. It changes. When I'm wearing a suit, it just naturally changes my behaviour. It's not like I've decided I'm going to be good today. But wearing the suit makes me think differently. And wearing the king's clothes will make you think differently. And will you still mess up? Yes. Because you, we've all had that experience of the kids at the wedding, and they look so fantastic in the morning, don't they, in their nice suits? <laughs> and, and then through the ceremony, you know, the parents have just about got a grip on them, so those suits stay nice. But the minute the ceremony's over and the 
dance floor's open. You know you're going to see at least one kid power slide on his knees across the floor <laughs> and, and just ruin that suit. And I've done that, not as a kid, but in a wedding I decided that I was going to power slide. And I'm not kidding, I ruined the perfectly good moss suit just by like, power sliding on my knees. And I was, as I stood up, I thought my knees were on fire. <laughs> and I looked down and the suit had melted around my knees. A kid's going to be, when they're doing this, a kid's being naughty, or are they just being kids? And even if they're naughty, does that mean that the parents aren't going to give them dinner? They shouldn't mean that. You know, we still mess up as believers, even wearing the king's clothes. But listen, the king's clothes are indestructible. That's not to say go power slide your little life away, however you fancy. But it means this. Allow the clothing to change your thinking. Because when, you're, when you have a real, genuine relationship with Jesus, your thinking does change, it's transformed, renewed day by day. And, and as you stand as a believer in Christ, saved and being sanctified, you, you start to choose love and joy and peace and patience, not because you're trying, but because it's there. And yes, you're going to mess it up. If today you know that you've been trying to earn your salvation, then I want you to just open up your heart to God and say, God, is there any way that you can put clothing on me today? You clothe my nakedness, because that's what our own efforts are, is nakedness before him. You clothe me in your righteousness, please. And if that's you, I want you just to pray with me. I'm just going to pray. Let's stand together and let's close our eyes. As we pray.